Dante, true story. Speaker for tonight, Al. Hi, my name's Al. I'm a compulsive overeater. How you guys doing? Keep an eye on. I'll probably stop in I'll probably stop maybe around six or five after six and open up for questions. I think questions are better. I mean, um, uh, Zeruzan didn't come. I thought she was going to come. Tell her I say hi and I love her. I'm really grateful to her because she's the gal that started a Reader's Anonymous. Uh, her boyfriend was in Gamblers Anonymous, if I remember right, and, and she went to a Gamblers Anonymous meeting and then she started an OA meeting. I don't talk very often at Overeaters Anonymous meetings. The last person I talked to was a gal who I sponsored in OA for around, until she died for about, I think probably around 30 years, Doris Siegel. And uh, I came into Overeaters Anonymous. Uh, in 1968, and uh, so that's how it started for me. How it really started for me is I quit smoking. I was sober around five years in Alcoholics Anonymous, and I quit smoking, and I went straight from cigarettes to uh, Winchell Donuts and <laughs> Apple Fritters, and, you know, for, you know, whatever. Whenever you saw me, I had something. My I was eating something. You know what I mean? Because uh, it, it just I had to do it. There was no other. There was no other recourse. Because I mean, this is how I handled. This is how I handled. I was unaware, you know, because before before you have a certain amount of time, before you before you really take the steps, what happens is you're really darkened. You know, I mean, you just we're unconscious. We live a we live a life unconscious. I mean, we, we go through life being unconscious. And it wasn't, it wasn't until I, and I was sober in Alcoholics Anonymous for over five years when I came in here. You know, and, and what happens, it, it, uh, it gave me a, it, it, it gave me a, it, it gave me a more insight into the program. And it, you know, it brought more things to the forefront in my life. Because if you really want to know you really want to know why you ate. If I really want to know why I ate, all I had to do was go in abstinence. You know what I mean? It'll be there really quick. You'll find out. <laughs> really quick. And how I, how I found over here is anonymous is I went to a, uh, a meeting on Radford Street, and there was this guy, she, she, told, she told me not to mention her name anymore, but she's a movie actress, and... and uh, she was, had a TV series, and she got up and shared that she's an alcoholic and a compulsive reader, you know, and so I heard her share that, and I went to the, I went to, uh, I went to, uh, after the meeting, I went up to her, and I asked her about that, and she said that she was going to Overeaters Anonymous, and that they have meetings, and, uh, and she gave me an old meeting list. You know, and so uh, they had uh, they had the secretary's names and stuff like that. So I, I looked for a meeting, and there was no Saturday meetings. But there was I was living in Roland Heights at the time. Now, what drove me? See, what drove me to the point where 
I had to confront my eating that I had to confront what was going on is I had to reach a point of pitiful, incomprehensible demoralization. I had to reach a point in my life where I couldn't go on anymore like that. It was totally obvious to me. I was running a sewing machine plant. I had a factory in downtown Los Angeles. I was a contractor at the time, and the operators used to tease me and call me Ponson. And that, that means big fat stomach is what that means. <laughs> and then I, had, I was talking, I got sober in Hawaii, and, and I did a little bit of talking in AA, and so I, a lot of people would call me Hawaii because I got sober in Hawaii. And so what happens is, it was the Santa Monica, you know Sam, Santa Monica Sam? Well, he was in Venice, and he had the Venice meeting there at the Circle, and he invited me to come and talk to him, to come and talk at the Venice meeting at Tijuana Circle. So instead of introducing me as uh, Hawaii, he introduced me as Tijuana Facts. <laughs> and this is... It was just like, it was like things like that that happened in my life, you know. It's like when you hit a bottom in alcoholism, it's the things, the terrible things that happened to you that drive you to the program that really made you, you know, that really made you look at, made you look at, it made me look at, at myself and how unhappy I was with myself. And then when this gal shared that and I got the meeting list, so I went to the Tuesday night meeting at Hacienda Heights, it was called the Belinda Group. I think it was Tuesday or Thursday, and uh, and I went to the meeting, and they had a list. They had a they had a, a paper there, and they called it the gray sheet. You know, and you couldn't share at the meeting. So you had three weeks calling accidents. You know, and um, and there was no uh, there was there was only one guy at the meeting, and. And after the meeting was sharing, I went up to him and I asked about, I asked, you know, because I heard him talking about food plan and calling and calling abstinence and stuff like that, weighing and measuring. This is, when I talked about it, he just drive Doris Siegel crazy when I talked, because she did not like that. You know, because, see, the, the one of the hazards in Overeaters Anonymous is that they'll find God before they'll find the food plan. Do you know what I mean? That, that's, that's a real hazard. You know, that's a real hazard. And so, what happened? So, let me get back. I lost track there. <laughs> and so, I let my ask this guy about it. And he said, yeah, there's a food plan here. And he says, you got to get a sponsor. And, and, uh, and so, there was a second. He said, the secretary's name they used to put next to the meeting. He said, call her up. Well, she wasn't there. You know, as you call her up, she's really a very attractive woman. You want to call her up and she'll get you somebody to sponsor. So I called her up, and she said, I'll be your sponsor. And so, did I ever tell you about this? My wife, Patty, I don't know if I ever told her about that. <laughs> Let me tell you what, if it wasn't for her, it was not because I wouldn't be married to her. Because I wouldn't have had the self-esteem to walk up to ask her out. Even though she turned me down the first time. <laughs> and so, uh, and so I, 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 I talked to her, see. And it was really a calling, you know, calling abstinence is really important. Because number one, I found out my biggest problem is I couldn't read. I couldn't read. Because I would call up, I would call her, and her name is Joan. I would call up Joan, and I would, I would tell her, I'd be looking at the food plan, and I'd say, you know what, uh, 
said, well, look on the food plan. Is it on the food plan? And it wasn't on the food plan. I said, no, it's not. And she said, then you can't have it. I don't know. And then, uh, then, I, then another thing I asked, they, you know, half Mexican, I said, well, can I have beans? You know, I mean, very fine beans. Is it on the food plan? I said, no, you can't have it, you know. And so what uh, my food plan was, uh, just to tell you exactly, I can, I got it in my mind, but it was, I'd have got up in the morning, I'd have two scrambled eggs and an orange. And for, uh, for lunch, I would have uh, two pieces of chicken breasts, and, uh, an 8-ounce can of dill string beans, and a couple of radishes and a couple of carrot sticks, and a celery. And for dinner, I would have a four-ounce filet. I'd like I'd buy a, I'd buy a, like a, a nice filet and I cook it. You know, uh, I'd microwave. Sound microwave? I'd mi- <laughs> and I'd microwave the filet. And the most accurate thing I ever had in my house was my was my postage stamp scale. You know, because then I would cut away. So I had four ounces of that filet. And then I had exactly four ounces. Then I would cut it up. I would cut that. And I would, you know, and then I'd have two cups of salad. And I would pack, I would pack this, I remember I packed the salad, the lettuce so tight inside the cup one time it exploded on me. packed it so tight it broke open. And then, uh, you know, and then I would have, and I would go on, I would go on like a habit. I, for, for a month straight, I'd eat eight ounces of dilled string beans, you know what I mean? Couldn't have peas. See, peas weren't on the food plan. You know, but I could have what's on the food plan. And uh, you may sound, that may sound ridiculous or whatever, but what it did, you know, what it did, it gave me, it got me, it got me into the program. It got me, it got me into Anxiety. <laughs> that's what it got me into. You know, I got very anxious, got very tore up. I remember a guy. I was I was in Hawaii. I went to Hawaii, and I ran into and lucky my sponsors and AA sponsors in Hawaii, and I talked to him, and uh, he referred me to the steps like he always did. You know, because what happens is, what happens is we have to realize why did I eat. Why, you know, what caused me to eat compulsively? You know, why was it that I, what was it in me that caused me, it was so painful that I had to, that I had to stuff it down with food? You know, what was it? You know, and so what happens is when I abstain, these things come up. See, uh, what happens is that our chance, and it works same as an A, our chances, facts are, if I want to stay abstinent, not particularly absent, but I mean, I have, a, I have a maintenance, but if I want to live a healthy, a healthy eating life, if I um, eating and have a, a healthy life, and to be strong, and to be active, you know, and to uh, be loving, and enjoy my family, and enjoy my friends, if I want to do that, and if I want to, and I, if I want to come, I have a choice in my, I have a choice in my life to come at my life from two places. I can come from guilt, or I can come from love. But one of the things about me coming from love is I have to, in a sense, I have to love myself. 
And it isn't like an ego world. It's like a, it's like a, a sense of, of accepting who I am as I am right now. And what happens is, I, we, I was confused. I thought I was who I thought I was. I thought I was who I thought I was. And there's no, uh, there's no, uh, there's no way, there's no way that I just. Facts are our chances are nailed to get rid of our old ideas. There's only one way to get get rid of old ideas is to observe them, is to see what they are. You know, the first step says that we're powerless over. Uh, uh, I remember I was powerless over compulsive overeating. When I first came in, it was sugar, uh, sugar and refined white starch. But now, after all these years, I'll just say I'm compulsive. I haven't returned to compulsive overeating. And I eat in a sensible way. But for me to do that, I have to maintain it. I have to maintain a, a state of mind that is a peaceful state of mind. A mind that's, uh, I have to have the sort of mind that's going to be willing to contribute to society and be loving. And not continually, not be continually, not be continually thinking about what's happening to me. The reason people are observing, the reason people are want to know where's mine, where's mine, because they have a feeling they haven't got it. And part of the endarkenment, part of the endarkenment is we have it. But we've been trained to believe that we haven't got it. I mean, I'll show you how darkened we are. How many times have you gone to the meeting and you heard people say, Oh, man. How do I stay in the now? What do I do? How do I stay in the now? How? Well, just stand up in the back of the meeting and ask them, well, Excuse me. Where do you think you are? <laughs> Wait, you must have asked your head where you were. You know what I'm saying? Did that's how darkened we are. We're, we're so, I was so darkened. I was living in my head all the time. My life was based upon drama. My whole life was based upon drama. And do you know how you can stop drama? It's not happening. It's not happening. If you want to know what's happening, take a look. That's happening. There's nothing else happening. Only that. But before I could come to, before I could become to, I mean, all your religions, I mean, even the Lord's Prayer says, give us this day your daily bread, or give today our daily bread. It doesn't say I'm giving you a loaf today, two loaves tomorrow, day after that, three loaves, when you're 65, we'll back a whole truck up. No! It says I'm giving it to you between now and you go to bed tonight. So do not be concerned. <laughs> Do not be concerned. You have all you need between now and when you go to bed tonight. But we've been trained, we've been trained to believe that we haven't got it. We've been trained to believe that we're unworthy. Remember, my dad told me, whatever you do, don't hang around with Mexicans. Really? Only thing wrong is my dad was a Mexican. <laughs> so, then, so immediately I just began to see myself as being less than. The next thing that happened to me when I was seven years old, I was molested by my uncle. 
you know, and I was molested by my uncle. And I couldn't tell anybody that because that never happened to anybody in the world, but only me and I'd never be able to say anything about that. But you see, I began, I had began making the number one mistake that we all do is I begin identifying myself based upon the things that happened to me. Beginning using the things that happened to me in my life to define me as who I am. Now let's go back to the answer to the whole thing. The answer is, God created us good. She, she created us good and never changed her mind. We're good now. We always have been and we always will be. That's a fact. That's a, and you and I have nothing to do with it. By nature, we are all good, and we've got nothing to do with it. But we have, what we have done is we have hung decorations of unworthiness on us, and, and, and the reason we hung it on us and people gave it to hang on to us, it wasn't their fault, because they, somebody told them. It wasn't my dad's fault that he told me that. He believed that. See? He believed that. And he was the big guy, so I believed he was right. And so as time went along, I began thinking that I began collecting the idea that I was unworthy. See? I began, I began seeing myself based upon that. And so when I, I mean, so, I mean, I took a drinking and I handled it. And then I ended up smoking. When I quit smoking, I smoked over three packs a day. And I checked into, uh, I checked into Seven Day Adventist Church. You know, and they had a, a, a five day plan for no smoking, and I drove everybody around insane. I was riddled with resentments. You know, I just couldn't handle it. I was angry. You know, I was angry. And the reason I was angry is it was based upon what I was thinking. They were based upon what I was thinking. So I had to investigate. I had, to, I had to investigate the way I think. You know. I had, you know, one of, the, one of the strongest messages, and I'm not particularly any real religion. You know, I, I actually sway more towards Eastern religions than any other religion. Because religion is only religion. It's got nothing to do with this program. It's got nothing, religion's got nothing to do with spirituality. We're all spiritual by nature. We got that. There's nowhere we have to go to get it. You know, if we want to, you know, there's no, I mean, I found that out. Is uh, I started meditating when I was sober around 10 years. As a matter of fact, I used to do meditation retreats for Overeaters Anonymous. I used to do two, three-day retreats for OA and two-day retreats in San Diego and they flew me to Chicago and Michigan. And what happens is out of that you realize that who we are, who we are, and what we are is an extension of God. You know, and if the word God screws with you, you can see that that extension of energy, you have that extension of energy in us. It's there. It's there. It's there. It's there. And part of the insanity, it says, step two says that we get returned to sanity. That God couldn't live restored to sanity. See, the, the insanity is that we identify with the things that we've done in our life to define us. So if I don't identify with the things in our life, that those things, or if I don't identify with my job or my car or my relationship, if I don't identify with these things outside of me, then who do I identify? I mean, what do I identify with? See? What I identify with is that energy, that source inside of me. 
is that energy and that source inside of me. I mean, I do this, uh, this is pretty graphic. You know, I pick my nose or my nose picker. <laughs> Did I scratch my ass or am an ass scratcher? Yeah. Am I not going to podium or am I podium after? You know, before I got on the program, I would define myself to you as Al, the nose-picking, ass-scratching podium doctor. And what happens, I would suffer because of that. I would suffer because of that. See, suffering is what caused me to eat compulsively. I mean, it could cause me right now. Instead of drinking, I could just go binge. Sit out in front of a market basket with a, a package of oatmeal cookies and, uh, uh, what do you call it, that... The frosting that they put on carrot cake and butter it like you sit out there and have a few snacks you know, until I go to sleep <laughs> but what happens is what happens is after I took my steps I realized that who I am and what I am I am an extension of God just like you guys everybody here is that everybody here is that I mean who grows her hair I mean, who grows your fingernails? Who's in charge of that? Who's in charge of running your blood? Who's in charge of pumping your heart? It's that energy that we that I have to identify with. That energy inside of me. I identify with and who I am and what I am, what I am is that. What I am is that. And what I did is I went over here and I took my nose. I went over and I scratched my ass. I went over here and I knocked at the podium. At what time did I become any of those things? I never become any of those things. Because who I am and what I am is an extension of God. And whatever I, whatever I do in my life is what I do. It's got nothing to do with me. Because there's a great part of the time in my life that what I'm going to do is I'm going to make mistakes. <laughs> but the natural... The natural course of things in life, the natural movement in life is to make mistakes. That's part of the way it goes. That's a part of the way it goes. If you take a torpedo and you find a, a torpedo out of a submarine, and say it's going, this is a boat there, and it doesn't go like that and hit the boat. It goes a zigzag course like this. It has it has an automatic pilot inside there that guides a little left and a little in left, right, correct, 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 and it does a zigzag course till it strikes the, uh, till it strikes the uh, boat. If, any, till anybody, if anybody here has uh, ever sailed the boat, anybody ever sailed the boat? Yeah, okay. You notice, if you're going to sail from here to Catalina, you grab that tiller and go straight there? <laughs> huh? In other words, you're continually correcting are you a bad person when you go too far this way? Or are you a bad person when you go too far that way? In other words, it's just a natural movement of the boat, am I correct? Oh, thanks a lot. Thank you. <coughs> it's a natural movement of the boat. You see what I mean? Well, that's a natural course of life. So if we, are, we have to give ourselves the right to make mistakes. We have to, one of the things that compulsive, I found out myself as a compulsive reader, I've got to do is stop being critical about me and everybody else. Give myself freedom to live. And how I give myself freedom to live <coughs> is not judging other people and allowing them to live their life. 
wanting them to live their life, giving them the freedom to live their life. Because when I give them that, I have it. You see, I have it. But only I can do that. Only I can make that choice. I'm going to stop now and have a drink. You guys got a question? <laughs> Well, what happened is I was baptized. Okay, uh, the question is, um, what was my experience of God when I was a kid, and how did it change? Okay, I was baptized a Catholic. Okay, and uh, and, so, and out of that, I was going to Catholic school, and I learned the first thing that one of the things that really uh, I totally disagree with. Nobody has to agree with me. It's my program. I don't give a shit what you think. <laughs> I don't. But they bullshitted me. They told me that I was born in sin, that I was a bad person, because he made an apple in the beginning of time. You know what? I pass on that. <laughs> you know, and so what happens is as time went along, as time went along, as time went along, uh, I got, I, I was in Overeaters Anonymous in the 60s. And in the 60s, do you realize the spiritual revolution that went on in the United States? I mean, I mean, the Ram Dass and all these guys were coming out. Somebody gave me a book that, that had all these phallic symbols in it. I said, hang out with it. <laughs> and I did, you know, and I remember, and I, remember I, I kept it in the bathroom. Well, <laughs> yeah. that's where you want to keep all your spiritual literature. Yeah. I, I kept it in the bathroom, and... Um, and, uh, and, it, and one of the pages there, he quoted, the guy quoted a guy named Gershoff. He quoted him saying, you cannot escape, and this is part, this is something here, you cannot escape to first you realize you're a prisoner. To first you realize, and what am I a prisoner of? I'm a prisoner of my belief system. I'm a prisoner of my belief systems and I'm a prisoner of what I think. So what I need to do, so what I needed to do is in, in not make myself wrong, not to say those thinkings are wrong, but I needed to investigate them and say, well, this thinking works for me. To be Mexican is bad. That thinking doesn't work for me. If God wanted me to be Italian, she would have made me Italian. You know what I mean? In other words, but it made me Italian. They probably wonder why I called God she, because uh, because what happens is, is our father, who are, I mean, my dad was really he loved me, totally, but he was very strict, very strict. But my mother was really loving. I mean, I could do no wrong, even though I was doing wrong. She loved me anyway. It's totally unconditional. Totally unconditional. And so when I say our mother who are, you know, it makes sense to me. I realize that I had that nurturing, you know, there's that thing. And so through the process, I, I got involved in it. I, I did, I started meditating. I mean, I told them I was sober on 10 years and talked to my sponsor. And, and he lived in Hawaii, so when he talks, I listen to him. And he told me that I should start meditating. And I was, so what I did is I went to the Bodha tree and bought a, book, a bunch of books of meditating and read about it. That isn't it. 
That's called reading about meditation. It's <laughs> not meditation. It doesn't count. You know what I mean? And, and, um, and then I ended up going to the University of Oriental Studies. I saw this guy, Shenzhen Young. He had just come from... He, he was a Buddhist monk that had gone off to Japan. He, he, how he ended up going to Japan, he went on a drug deal that went bad. And he ended up checking into a monastery... And he became a monk. <laughs> and he was Jewish, you know what I mean? He was Jewish. And he came back, he came back, and he came back, and he was stayed there around 10 years, and he came back and he taught meditation there at the University of Oriental Studies. And, uh, and I went and talked to him, and he told me I had one of the most grossest minds he'd ever run into. And my mind is just the same as yours, you know. What the grossness was, what the grossness, what he considered grossness was, was I was hypnotized by drama, by what wasn't happening. My life was totally focused on palace, dynasty, work, relations, you know, all these things out here in my mind going on, you know. And here I am right here, okay. You see, so I, so what happens is he taught me, you know, I learned how to meditate. Through that experience, through that experience of meditation, you realize you, over a period of time, over a period of time, uh, you, you have the experience. It isn't an experience. What happens is you have the realization that God is in all of us. In all of us right now. Always has been. Always will be. There's nowhere else to go. And, 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 and the only way we can, the only way we can really the, the best way to reach that is, I can tell you, I'm going to tell you how? Okay. <laughs> that's how. Yeah. You know, that's how. That's how. And what happens is that as that goes on, as that goes on, the way I see God changes. And then there's a lot of others, a lot of good stuff out there. I mean, you can get... I went to a retreat at Esalen. Uh, there was a guy who wrote the, the book on the... Um, the Tibetan book of living and dying. And told him around when she... I went to a three-day retreat there. And uh, he... Yeah. Oh, how are they? Okay. Okay, do you have staying? Are you staying? Okay. Do you have a client? Do you have a food sponsor? Get a food sponsor. Okay. Step one is like I'm powerless over refined sugars and starches. Step one. Get a food sponsor. Call, call your food, call your into the food sponsor. Okay. And after you abstained over a period of time. How did you do that? How did I do that? I abstained. Uh, I called in my food. I called in my food for, it was like, I was afraid to, you only have to call in for two, for uh, three weeks. But I called in for two months because I was so afraid I would slip back. I called in my food as food sponsor. And, uh, and then I got into the steps. I took my inventory. You take your inventory. 
you find the power, you know, you, 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 like I was talking about, you find power greater than yourself, but it all stops. None of it works. None of it will be a philosophy. It will be just another philosophy. It will be like another religion unless you abstain. Because at that point, unless you abstain and get on calling accidents, it's just... Because it's this. It's this is why, what causes to eat compulsively. It's our thing. When did that change? Huh? When did that change? Well, it, 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 when did it change? Probably after about 18 months. And I didn't, you know, it changes so gradual that you don't know. But the thing is, you just have that. Uh, it's, uh, it's not like take out a pill, come to two meetings, you're okay. That's like I do. I do group for promises, right? And it's like it's a 30-day program of promises. It's like they could check in there for 30 days. They don't do drugs and alcohol. They're supposed to leave. Do you think they're okay? No. <laughs> the wrinkles are out of their stomach, and that's all. They're still stuck with the insanity. And compulsive overeating is the same thing. It's the insanity. You know, I mean, it's self. Hey, George, what's cooking? Uh, it's 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 uh, it's it's a self obsession. It's a self obsession. Uh, how we can purely comparing ourselves to other people, and the reason we're comparing ourselves to other people is only for one reason: is because we go uh, we have low self esteem. What causes low self esteem is what do I think about me? Is with low self esteem. And see, these things are confronted, but you, we can't confront them if we're eating. We can't, we can't confront. It's like an alcoholic drinking. You can't con- or an addict doing drugs. They can't confront their issues because they dump themselves up. So what's it about? Maybe let some other people ask questions. Pardon? Just saying, maybe get some other people asking questions. Okay. Yeah. Um, what is your today? Uh, today, right? Let's see. I eat. Uh, I get up in the morning, I have uh, a, I, uh, what do you call it, uh, that power drink by Dr. Short Schultz, and I have, uh, let's see, I have uh, prunes, <laughs> I have, uh, I have uh, five or six prunes, and then for lunch I'll have uh, yogurt or I'll have salmon, or I'll have uh, tuna, something like that. Then I'll have fruit, and I'll have um, you know, like cantaloupe, sliced cantaloupe, sliced apple. Huh? Three meals, no snacks. There's three meals. I eat ice cream. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah, but I mean, I'm not going to sit down and eat a gallon. Yeah. yeah. If you, well, I'm not finished with her. Oh. Uh, what else do you want to ask me? Um, how do you explain how, um, very clearly how to use it now? How do you turn things over? How do you, uh, how do you turn things over? I find out I don't, you mean, how do I let things go? Yeah, you have to turn over. Uh, I find out if I don't grab them, I don't have to let them go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. And then another thing, when, I, when, I, when it's too late for me, when I've already grabbed them, when I've already grabbed them, what I do is I just tell myself God's got it. And if she's charged, doesn't need my help. 
you know, it, it just thank God for taking care of it. But I, I'm pretty, I have a, a basic understanding that I'll tell you what, when I come and I'm going to teach meditation, so I'm going to have to take some guy out and stand him on the street. I'll tell him to look at cars going by. You know, I go stand out here in San Vicente. Well, there goes an old Rolls BMW Explorer, another BMW Jag, another Ford. You know, watch them going by, right? Watch him going by. What would happen is some Hummer goes by and you reach and you reach up and grab the doorknob <laughs> and drag your ass down the street with it. Thoughts, you see, thoughts, see, this is why meditation helps. Do you meditate? Try it. How meditation helps is when those cars are going by, I don't identify with them cars, I recognize those cars. But meditation does. What it does, it helps me to realize that thoughts are like cars. And what I do is I allow, I allow it's like me saying, I allow the cars to go by. Isn't that a crock? They're going to go by anyway. And thinking is the same way. I am always going to think. There will always be thoughts going by. I have no control over what I'm thinking. You know? But what thoughts I feed, decide to feed, is what comes forward. Like the Lord's Prayer says, Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, it's telling me that what I hold in my mind long enough will manifest itself in my life. In other words, so... Uh, uh, the Buddhists tell you not to think, un, you know, don't feed unwholesome thoughts. You know, and unwholesome thoughts can, can be a critical thought. It's subtle. You know, and, and the critical thoughts are caused, if we're able to realize this, critical thoughts are caused by self-esteem. And self-esteem is caused by the way we see ourselves. And what we need to do is observe the thinking we have that the thoughts we have formed about ourselves. Observe them non-judgmentally so we can let them go and realize they're lies and they don't work for me. And I still eat ice cream. <laughs> you can't take that away from me. I mean, after years, I deserve it. I'm 72. I deserve ice cream. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't tickle. Oh, she wants to know what do I do when the allergy of the body of alcohol and drugs takes over? Or food? Or food? It doesn't take over because what it, it, it doesn't take over. Uh, how? Why doesn't? Because in the, my mind, because I'm, a, I'm in a different place. I'm eating for some, another reason. You know, in other words, I'm not forcing down the feeling. I resolve my feelings. I observe my feelings. You know, uh, I'm, I'm a feeling, you know, I mean, feelings aren't facts. Not necessarily facts, but they're feelings, and, just, and I have to acknowledge them. Saying, if you can, if you can, if you can just realize that self-esteem has got a lot to do here. It drives us. 
the way we see ourselves drives us. It'll drive us until we until we come to terms with with the belief systems we have that form the thoughts we have about ourselves. So, because we're otherwise, unless we do that, we're forced to go through life being cool. And the reason we have to go through life being cool is because we can't be who we are. Understand? And the reason we can't be who we are is because we think we are who we think we are and we're not. You know what I mean? Like I used to have to go through life pretending I was Italian. You know? And, and, and that's a rip-off. How would you like to go through your life? Wouldn't it be a rip-off to go through your life and not to really get to be who you are? Just to have to be a counterfeit person. And what's wrong is when you go through life being a counterfeit person, being a counterfeit person, what you don't do is you don't get to receive love. And the reason you don't get to receive love is because you don't present that. See, if I presented this podium as me, and say this podium is me, and then me here, you give the podium love, I don't get any. Because I don't present me. And the reason I don't present me is the way I see myself. See? And the way I see myself is what drove me to eat compulsively. When I resolve that, a lot of things change. That doesn't mean I can binge out on I just couldn't do it anymore. I just can't think of doing it. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. Now, um, how do you deal with doing meditation on a regular basis if you've got a pretty busy life? Do you, do you find time each day? Or? Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. You know, I like to say I meditate every day, all the time. Meditate every day, all the time, but I haven't. You know, uh, but I usually when I do, I get up in the morning. But right, I don't know. I get my life goes through phases. You know, sometimes I get up early in the morning. Sometimes I can't. You know, you know. I mean, I'll say that night I'm going to get up and I'm going to meditate. You know, I'm going to get up. I set the alarm for a quarter to five, and <laughs> I shut it off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, what's your question? Okay. Okay. Uh, no, it's how it feels. What it is is that we suffer, right? Uh, we suffer. Genuinely, we suffer. And what causes suffering is thinking. And if you suffer long enough, you'll you'll look for a way to to dull in the suffering. Now, alcohol dulled it. The cigarettes just allowed me to live with it. Food dulled it. But see, as I abstained from each one, as I abstained, I would never go back to drink again. Forget about that. I ended up at Salvation Army. 18 felony counts against me. Son adopted away from me. I'm not going back to that. And not going back to smoking three times, three packs a day because I could barely breathe. See? I'm not going back to compulsive overeating because I'm not willing to give up me. I'm not willing to give up me. See? 
And so what we have to do with this is not a matter of going from one thing to the other. What it is, and I just got to keep it basically simple. What it is, outrageous anonymous, is you come in, get a food sponsor, get the gray sheet, hand measure your food, call your food, call your food in for three weeks to a food sponsor, and and then. Begin working, get a, get a sponsor, and begin working the steps. I do not know of another way, because that's the way I did it. See, I don't know of another way to do it. But I don't, you know, I don't know. Because there's what we have to do. I mean, we have an opportunity to begin living our life for the first time. Do you guys want to have to die and come back and do this shit again? You know, that's the nature of the universe, is you've got to keep doing it to get it right. You want to come back again? Wouldn't you rather work something else out next time around? <laughs> well, I would. I don't know about you. I don't want to work on compulsive reading and alcoholism or, or, or whatever else in my next life. I'd rather work on something more fun, you know. <laughs> See, okay, time. Thank you. Whoa.